Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I have Neil Donald Walsh with me. And please excuse my raspy voice today. I just got back from a wonderfully intense ISTA retreat in Arizona, and my voice hasn't quite recovered yet, but wow, if anybody wants to take a deep dive into healing, I highly recommend it. Okay, so today it's my pleasure to have Neil. Neil Donald Walsh has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life. With an early interest in religion and a deeply felt connection to spirituality, Neil spent the majority of his adult years thriving professionally, yet searching for greater meaning in life. He has said that this yearning led to a series of deeply personal spiritual encounters, which he experienced as direct exchanges with the divine. A series of books titled Conversations with God, emerged from those moments and has been translated into 37 languages. Seven books in the series reached the New York Times bestseller list, Conversations with God, book one, remaining there for over two and a half years. His latest book, The God Solution, which we will be discussing today, published in December 2020, which invites humanity to embrace a new global ethic based on a refined and clarified definition of God. The book proposes that there is a single statement of spiritual truth upon which all the world's religions could agree and which would birth a shift of spiritual paradigms around the globe of such magnitude that it would produce peace and happiness on our planet at last. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I, I, I want to apologize for my raspy voice, but uh, if you want to get healed, go to Arizona and come back with a raspy voice. That's a great recommendation. In case you didn't hear what Liz said, if you want to get healed, go to Arizona and come back with no voice. Neil, I love you. <laughs> I, kind of, I heard your introduction. I thought that's not exactly probably what your recommendation, but <laughs> let it go with that. You want to lose your voice? Yes. <laughs> a great way to do it, though, for sure. I love your humor. Thank you, Liz. It's lovely. It's lovely to be here and and uh, just all having fun. Life life has got to be fun once in a while, and I try to to find the fun wherever I can. Oh, amen to that. I agree. Yeah. You really need to find the joy in life for sure. And create it, not just find it, but be the creator of it. Yes. So let's dive into your new book. Can you give us um, an essence of what the God Solution is all about? Yeah, if I could, I'd like to just t- take 10 seconds to start about to, uh, to talk about what the God dilemma is, because there's, oh, yes. th- there's no reason for a solution if there's not a dilemma. The dilemma is eight out of 10 people, st- surveys show uh, and these are scientific surveys, not just random questions on, of people on the street, but sociologists have been taking surveys for the past uh, 15 or 20 years. And one of the questions on those surveys is, do you believe in God uh, or some kind of higher power? And eight out of 10 people, believe it or not, 80% of the people in every country where the question is asked, uh, tell us that they believe in a higher power. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. Eight out of 10 people believe in a higher power. They agree that there is a higher power. 
but we can't agree on anything else about the higher power. We can't agree what God is, what God does, how God does it, what God wants, if anything, what God does if God doesn't get what God wants, you know, how we can use the higher power if, in fact, it is available for us to use at our at our will. Uh, we, we hardly agree. We hardly agree on any of that. The result of which is there are four thousand three hundred known religions on the planet today. Wow! You didn't. That wasn't. You didn't mishear that. That's an actual statistic. Four thousand three hundred and some odd religions on the planet today. That is that's the God dilemma. And the God dilemma goes beyond that. With so many people believing in a God, people are starting to ask a, 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 a very powerful question. If there is a God, if there is a higher power, why is the world the way it is? Why are we going through what we're going through now with the pandemic and everything else that's happening? The economic collapse of half the world, the racial injustice that we see all over the world, and all the other problems that we are seeing on our planet today, to say nothing of the problems that have beset us for lo these many years. Because these challenges that humanity has been collectively facing have not just arisen in the past several months or the past several years. There, there have been only hardly any time in the past several thousand years when at least at some place on the planet, there wasn't a war going on. It's hard to believe, but it's true. So, and as we sit here today, 625 children die of starvation every week. No, I'm sorry. I, I misread that. I mean to say every day. I'm sorry. I misread that. I mean to say every hour. I made those mistakes deliberately to make a point. I said 625 children are dying on this planet every hour of starvation while we are throwing away enough food as leftovers in the restaurants on Paris, Paris, Tokyo, and Los Angeles, and London that would be needed to feed an entire village for a week. What is it we don't understand? Is it possible? And that's the God dilemma. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, about each other, and about ourselves? The understanding of which would change everything. Yeah. That's the question that I've been asking for the past 25 years. And the God solution proposes an answer. It proposes an answer that's so, forgive me, but so simple that some might even call it simplistic. That's so easy. Because you see, here's, here's the dilemma. With 4,000 religions uh, in the world today, we can't seem to agree on a single statement that all the religions could embrace collectively and say, okay, on that much we agree. We agree at least on this foundational statement. But there is no such foundational statements on which the world's religions can agree, which is why more wars have been fought through human history for reasons dealing with religion than for any other reason. Mm -hmm. if, if, 
God is this extraordinary experience in human life. Why are we killing each other over it? And why have we not found a way to use the messages that we say we have received and the teachings we've been given by the world's 4,000 religions? Why haven't we found a way to use those teachings to solve the God dilemma? Let that be our question for the day. And so the God solution in a very uplifting, lighthearted way, because the negativity with which I began this answer in the book takes about 12 paragraphs. And the rest of the book, the rest of the entire book is this joyous experience of the God solution. And what we are suggesting in the book, my dear Liz, is that all we have to do, we meaning the human race, all the human race has to do is redefine God. Come up with another definition of God upon which all of the world's religions and all of those people who agree there is a higher power could agree. And so we propose such a definition. We are saying that the definition doesn't even have to be many words long or highly sophisticated terminology. We could define God with two words. Two words, if we embrace them as our solution to the God dilemma, those two words could change everything on our planet overnight. The behaviors of nations, the way nations interact with nations, the behaviors of corporations, the behaviors that build and guide our economies, our social, sociological constructions, our social networking, which is filled now with anger and hatred and alienation, and of course, our spiritual organizations. So here's the two word definition of God that's proposed in the God solution. What if we decided that we could define God by saying that God is colon pure love. Now, people say to me in my lectures, oh Neil, I thought you were gonna give us a new idea. We came here expecting to hear a brand new idea. That's your bright idea, pure love, whoa. Who doesn't agree with that? We all agree that God is love. Everyone, nobody could disagree that, about that. God, of course, God is love. And then I have to stop my audience. Whoa, whoa, wait, folks, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't say God is love. You didn't hear me say that. I said God is pure love. I put those two words together for a reason. God is not love as human beings understand the word and forgive me as we practice it. God is pure love. And in case you're wondering, well, what's the difference? Here's the difference. Pure love needs, requests, hopes for, and demands nothing in return. It needs and demands nothing in return. You don't have to do certain rituals, follow certain teachings, accept certain beliefs, say certain things. You don't have to behave in a certain way in order for God to love you and to love all of us. In other words, simplistic as it may sound, God's love is unconditional for a very powerful reason. 
because God needs nothing. God is everything that God could possibly need. So the idea that we have a needy God who requires us to follow certain rules or, if you please, commandments, mm-hmm. or that we have a God who says, no, no, you don't understand. You have to belong to a certain religion. And I'm not kidding about this. You have to belong to one particular of the 4,000 religions. If you say you believe in God and you believe in God with all your heart and all your soul, but you belong to the wrong religion, you're going to hell anyway. I don't know what to say, guys. Dems the rules. You got to belong to a certain religion or you're going to hell where you'll suffer everlasting damnation and unmitigating torture at the hands of Satan. So that's the God you believe in. And and because you believe in a God who is judgmental, condemning, and punishing, you've decided to follow the same model. I mean, you're modeling your behaviors on the behaviors of the God in whom you believe. And so you are judging condemning and punishing with each other, nations with nations, races with races, genders with genders, conservatives with liberals. I've never seen this kind of alienation on the planet before in my life. I'm an older guy, fair enough. But in all my years, I've never seen this level of alienation, the kind of alienation that stops us from even Excuse me, I don't want to get into politics too much, but even simply putting on a mask as a possible preventative. Maybe it does work, maybe it doesn't work, but does it have to be the big political question of the decade? I mean, folks, what's up with the alienation? My golly. But what's happened is that, well, religions tell us that you know, man is made in the image and likeness of God, what's happened is that human beings have made God in the image and likeness of man. We have decided that because man, that is human beings, are judgmental and condemning and punishing, God must be too. We've created God in our image and likeness. So we are suggesting something that's fairly radical theologically radical. It's theologically radical in the sense that it violates the fundamental teaching of the majority of the world's religions. We are saying that God asks nothing in return for her love. He is willing to give us all the love that there is to be given simply because we are her children, his creation, God's divine expression. That's the God solution in six minutes or less. Yeah, that's beautiful. Neil, you covered a lot of ground. I'm gonna go through and kind of pick out a couple specifics. So um, with all the judgment and duality present in the world today, how do we come to that collective agreement? Do you have any suggestions? Well, first of all, we agree that what we have come to is not working. That's step number one. We have to be open enough to say, okay, 
whatever else can be said. And by the way, by the way, let me make it clear. I'm not suggesting for a minute that the world's great religions have nothing to teach us. That's not the point. And it's not, not something that I would even suggest. There's great wisdom, great wisdom in all the world's religions, or they wouldn't have lasted this long. But the problem is that many of the world's religions, I want to say most of them, feel that there are no more questions to be asked, that we know all there is to know on this subject. So we are like, in a sense, if I could use an analogy, we are like children who have learned how to add and subtract. And we think that's all there is to mathematics. Remember when we were kids in third grade or second grade, and we learned how to add and subtract and, and with marbles or whatever they used as little devices. And, and we thought, wow, I know I understand. I understand arithmetic, adding and subtracting. And when the teachers come along later in life and say, well, there's a little more to it than just arithmetic, than just adding and subtracting. There's, you know, there's multiplication and long division. And if you please, algebra and geometry and trigonometry and calculus and higher mathematics. Wow, it goes on forever. But we think because we've learned how to add and subtract, because we've learned the basics, that we know all there is to know about mathematics. We are like children when it comes to our understanding of God. We think because we've learned some of the basics that we know all there is to know about God. Mm. But I have been traveling the planet for the past 25 years asking that question Is it possible? just possible with all that we've been taught that there's something missing, there's some data missing, or why is the world the way it is? It isn't because, you know, people of religion would say, well, it's because not enough people are practicing the religions. But in fact, the opposite is true. It's because so many people are practicing religion as they've understood it, that they've decided that the way to be on this planet is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. And so we can't imagine treating each other in our politics, in our economics, in our social systems, or in our religions. We can't imagine treating each other with pure love. So I would ask people to respond to an interesting question. In the, in the book, Liz, we propose a thought experiment. Not many books are doing that these days, but this book lays it right out. It invites people. It, the book says we invite you to engage with us through this book in a thought experiment. If you, and here's the experiment. If you could create your own religion, if you were suddenly chairman of the board of the world, and you could create your own religion, if you chose to do so, would your religion be based on pure love? Or would you be based on judgment and punishment, condemnation? And just to ask a few questions, if you were the inventor of your own religion, would, you, would your religion say that it's not okay for people to rent an apartment together? Would you allow landlords to say no to a couple because they happen to be the same sex? Mm. Would you say it's okay for a clerk of the court to deny a marriage license to two people who love each other deeply and want to be together forever because they're the same sex? Is that an expression of pure love? Is it an expression of pure love to kill people deliberately 
that is to murder them deliberately, cruelly, by the way, by shooting hundreds of thousands of volts of electricity through their body. Is it okay to kill people as a response to their having killing people? As a, to teach humanity a lesson, we'll teach you killing people is not okay. And if you don't understand that killing people is not okay, we'll kill you to show you that it's not okay. I, I'm sorry, excuse me? Uh, I'm sorry? You're going to use the same energy that created the problem to solve the problem? Wasn't it Einstein, one of the world's great minds who told us you can't solve any problem using the same energy that created it? Hello, hello, hello. Earth to people, earth to people. Are you listening? Is anybody? Is Uh-huh. Okay, thanks. <laughs> they told us they are listening. They're just choosing to ignore it. Choosing to ignore everything they've heard from all of the world's great spiritual messengers throughout human history, each of whom has said in their own way, some version of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. And the teachers of those rules, of that golden rule, did not say, except in the following instances, with a long list of fine print. It simply said, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Or as Milton Bennett, the wonderful American sociologist, said a few years ago, he created a new rule. He called it the platinum rule. He says, you know, platinum is actually more valuable than gold. And this rule is more valuable than the golden rule. The platinum rule from Milton Bennett, do unto others as they would have it done unto them. Dare you, dare you, double dare you. You see, we're one behavior away from creating the world that we've longed to live in. But who will be the first to do it? Where is the spiritual leader today who is willing to propose such a radical notion? Who is the spiritual leader? And by the way, what is a leader? Is a leader one who says, follow me? Or is a leader one who says, I'll go first? Wouldn't it be beautiful if the collective could all just do that individually? Like, because of all the suffering that we're experiencing right now, I'm sure people are asking questions and, you know, going within and really, you know, doing that deep dive, you know, into themselves. So what do you think um, people are asking because of the suffering from the pandemic? Right what now? can I do? do they're asking, <coughs> they're, excuse me, they're asking, what can I do? Yeah. What, if anything, can I do? And my reply is, you can decide to be a walking, talking model, an exemplar. You can decide to be one who acts as if. Now here, it gets dangerous. You ask the question, you're going to get a dangerous answer. You can decide to be one of those who, who chooses to act as if. They are divine. See, here's the foundational premise of Conversations with God, the nine-book series that upset all the apple carts in all the 4,300 religions. 
foundational message of conversations with God is we are each individual expressions of the divine in every sense of the word. That is, we are made up of, comprised of, composed of pure love. Pure love is who we are. But we have been taught, our civilization has been teaching its offspring for thousands of years that they are unworthy, that they are not, I mean, even those who believe in God would not say that you and God are one in the sense of being united, but that in fact, God's up there and we're down here and never the twain shall meet. You're unworthy. You know, when I was a child, I was taught a prayer. I was taught to actually pray, Lord, though I am unworthy that thou should enter under my roof. Uh, that's how the prayer began. Mm. I mean, and, and by the way, it's not like I was a 30 year old man who I might even be able to admit, okay, I've done some things I'm not proud, proud of. We're talking about an eight-year-old child, a, seven, a seven-year-old child taught to believe in her own unworthiness as a spiritual principle wow. yeah. that we are born in sin. Religions, some religions call it original sin. Yeah. Wow. I mean, wow. No wonder... We are acting the way we're acting. So the opportunity is for us to decide, you know, we're just going to step away from that old teaching, that old model, if you please. We're simply going to reject it. We're going to let go of it. We're going to release ourselves from it. And we're going to announce that we are individuations of the divine. And here's what's interesting. Most all of us who have lived more than a few years have experienced moments in which they've expressed that. Almost every person can think of a time or two, maybe more, maybe many times, when they have felt pure love flowing from them, through them, as them, out to someone else in the world. Yes, I love and when you've experienced that expression of pure love, I'm not just talking about romantic love, that's part of it, of course but all sorts of love, all the ways that love springs forth from us. If you've ever seen a, a grown man put his arm around the neck of a horse and watch a man have tears in his eyes because of the love he has for that animal, just to use a striking example. Right. So all of us are capable of experiencing Pure love, that is love that wants and needs and asks for, much less commands, nothing in return for the giving of it. You know, it's like grandpa, the, the book, uh, The God Solution has, uh, you'll, ex you'll excuse me, I cry of my own stuff. I, I, get, I get teary eyed at my own stuff. I, I, at, at what you know, the messages that I'm sharing, but there's a wonderful anecdote, a, a little story in the God Solution about Grandpa. Um, you know, he he's at the birthday table, uh, and his little three-year-old granddaughter uh, he gets all excited and and spills her milk in his lap, all over his beautiful new clothes. And the Grandpa uh, says to the three-year-old granddaughter, 
Go to your room. What's the matter with you? You should know better. Go to your room and don't come out for the rest of your life. I'll teach you. No, of course, no grandpa does that. What a grandpa does with a three-year-old child is the grandpa says, it's okay, sweetheart. Grandpa forgives you. No, grandpa doesn't even say that. Grandpa reaches over and hugs the child and draws the child closer to him as she weeps about her obvious mistake. And he holds her close and lets her know with all the words at his command that nothing she does can stop him from loving her. Even in the moment when she spilled the milk. And he tells her the world's great wisdom there's no use crying over spilled milk or any human error. So, can we believe in a God who's at least as nice as my grandpa? Let that be our question for the day. Nice because when we can accept that kind of a God, then we can embrace those kinds of behaviors in ourselves without feeling like we are deserting the God of our understanding. Right. I think we as humanity and culture really need to dive into our belief systems. Since our belief <laughs> systems, you know, create our behavior, they create our reality. So, um, and there's been a lot of betrayal around religion. So how does a collective in our state right now reach that higher ground and break through? The collective does it when each member of the collective chooses to do it. The collective does it when a person, and then two, and then four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32, when we see that the message begins to spread, spread exponentially on a 2, 4, 8, 16, 32 progression, that the message of our, and here's the message, by the way, because you might say, okay, what's the message? Here's the message. The problem is we think that we're separate from each other. The message we've been sending each other as a species has been a message of separation. And it's all based on our separation theology. We have st we started the whole business by saying, Neil, you've got to understand what you're teaching, what you're sharing is blasphemy. You're talking about apostasy. This is heresy. You, you have to understand that God is up there and we're down here. And never the twain shall meet, except perhaps on judgment day, when Neil, you surely are going to hell. But... This is what I call a separation theology. And we've been teaching a separation theology for millennia on this planet. Now, you know what? That wouldn't be so bad if it began and ended there. I mean, if that's what you believe, fair enough. Fair enough. That's what you believe. If it began and ended there, no problem. But it doesn't. Because the problem with a separation theology is that it inevitably creates a separation cosmology, a cosmological holding across the planet. 
a species-wide understanding that everything is separate from everything else. Not only that we're separate from what we call God, but we are separate from everything else that God has created, the trees outside, the planet on which we live. We treat the planet itself as if we were other than Gaia, other than it. So we, we, we misuse it and abuse it as we do the creatures that walk the planet, the animals and the people as well. And even then, you know, a separation cosmology, if that's what you hold as your idea of life, okay. If it started and ended there, but it doesn't. Because the problem with a separation cosmology is that it inevitably produces a separation psychology that is individual psychological holding of separation. I'm all alone in the world. I really am all alone in the world. And who among us has not put our head on the pillow at night, at least one night of our life, and cried into the pillow, my gosh, it's, it's me and, um, and nobody else. And the problem with the separation psychology is that it inevitably produces a separation sociology. That is, it spawns and generates and gives birth to groups, socio societies, or if you please, groups that form themselves into separate units called states or nations or religions or races or genders or political parties whatever we can do to differentiate ourselves, differentiate from each other. Yes, that's it. Because not only are we different from each other, not only are we separate from each other, but we're better than each other. My political party is better than yours because we have the answers and you guys are the demons. And so we're gonna demonize you. We're gonna bully you. We're gonna use actual verbal insults on international television to simply describe someone who has a different political point of view than our own. Yeah, it just perpetuates the division. And we're gonna call that leadership. This is leadership. But you know what? Even a separation sociology could maybe be corrected and tolerated in the short term. But the problem is that it doesn't stop there because a separation sociology inevitably produces a separation pathology. Pathological behaviors of self-destruction observable on the planet from the beginning of time. So we see then that a separation theology creates a separation cosmology, cosmology, which produces a separation psychology, which generates a separation sociology, which results in a, in a separation pathology. And that's where we are today. Now, how do we unravel all of that? Stop announcing with our every decision, choice, and behavior that we are separate from each other and separate from God. Bring an end to the idea of separation with your own behaviors, your own decisions, or if you please, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Pope John Paul II, a few years ago, he's left the planet now, of course, but Pope John Paul II, a few years ago, was shot 
in a motorcade in Rome six times. One man just shot six bullets into him and every one of them hit the bolt. None missed. They got him in the arm, in the chest, in the leg, all over. Of course, he, he survived is a miracle. But the Pope survived actually six gunshot wounds. And his attempted assassin was, of course, grappled to the ground, thrown into prison for life, as you can imagine. And there he sat in prison. And the Pope, when he recovered from his wounds, did something rather interesting. He went to his attempted assassin's jail cell and he gave the man his papal blessing. In nomine patria et fidei spiritus sancti amen. He blessed the man who tried to kill him. And then he asked, because it was covered, of course, by the media all over the place. He asked the man, I'm not condoning what you did. I'm not agreeing with what you did. But I would like to understand what you did. Yeah. Tell me why you did that. Yeah. And he heard the man's explanation of what this gentleman thought the, the role was that the Pope played in some of the problems that he and that the world experienced. And the Pope said, whoa, whoa. Again, just for the record, I don't agree with your solution, but I sure do understand how you could have done what you did, given the grievances and the injuries that you experienced yourself having moved through in your life. And so Conversations with God tells us something rather interesting. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Now, the Pope is trying to help us understand another teaching that no one wants to grab, no one wants to grasp, no one wants to embrace, even though he demonstrated it powerfully in that jail cell. Oh, by the way, I should tell you, I'm not making this up, by the way, you can research this. This is all true fact. The Pope and, the, and this prisoner became pen pals. They began writing letters back and forth on a regular basis through the years, sharing with each other their feelings, their experiences. And then after the man was in jail about six or seven years or so, the Pope said, okay, fair enough, that's enough. And the Pope asked the civil authorities in Italy to grant the man a pardon and release him from prison, which the authorities of course did. Because in Italy, the civil authorities generally do what the Pope asks for. And so they granted the man a pardon for attempting to kill the Pope at the Pope's request. And when they asked the Pope, the media was all over it, of course, you know, your holiness, how could you do that? I mean, are you not teaching? Are you not teaching people to approve of such behaviors or at least allow them to continue? And the Pope said, no, I was hoping to teach a different lesson. What lesson would that be? Said the media and the Pope replied, love, love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
and do good to those who would do you harm. And raise not your fists to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are. And that all those whose lives you touch may know who they really are as well. Guys, even though everyone on the planet wants to call me a new age teacher, all the media people, all the book reviews, new age teacher, Neil Donald Walsh, this is not new age stuff. We've been hearing these lessons for, excuse me, thousands of years. The question is not to whom is God talking. The question is, who's listening? Mm, nice. And that was a beautiful story of love, compassion, understanding, and a beautiful example of how we can live that way if we choose to. It's choice. I could, of course be wrong about all of this, but I don't think so. Mm. <sighs> all of this was given to me in the conversations with God dialogue. And most of this is condensed and expressed in the God solution. Just my small effort at adding to the discussion. Yes, it's a beautiful effort, Neil. <clears throat> you say, um, I love this, it's rendered us singular, singularly incapable of bringing to bear the power of the God we believe in as a means of building the world we want to live in. Can you elaborate on that statement? I think we have to decide who we are and why we're here. I mean, on the planet. I think we have to choose our, as the French have said, our raison d'etre. Why are we here? What is our true identity? And what is our purpose? What is our function on earth? Until we decide that, until we become clear about that, we're going to think that the cultural story that we've been told by our forefathers and their forefathers and their forefathers, you know, somebody once said quite clearly, and the sins of the fathers shall be visited upon the sons, yea, even unto the seventh generation. The seventh generation? the 7,000th generation, repeating over and over again the same behaviors, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. The classic definition of insanity, of course. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. So how would I elaborate on the statement you read? Our opportunity 
I want to say our responsibility as humans who imagine themselves to be light workers and on the leading edge of tomorrow is to begin to embrace a brand new idea of who we are and our reason for being here. You know, there are four fundamental questions in life, Liz. The fundamental questions in life we should write in lipstick or soap on our bathroom mirror and answer them every morning. Here are the four questions. Who am I? Where am I? I don't mean what room of the house or, or what city or what state or even what planet. I mean, what is this realm that I find myself in? Where am I in the universal scheme of things? Who am I? Where am I? Question number three, why am I where I am? What in the hell am I doing here? Or correct, perhaps more correctly, what am I doing here in this hell? And question number four, after we answer the first three questions, who am I? Where am I? Why am I here? Why am I where I am? Question number four, what do I intend to do about that? Now, here are my answers to those questions and the answers that I propose may not be yours. There are no right or wrong answers, but for the purposes of discussion, who am I? Who am I? I'm an individuation of divinity. I am to God as a wave is to the ocean. The wave is not something other than the ocean. It's not separate from the ocean. It's an expression and a rising of the ocean. And it expresses in beautiful and glorious ways. And when the wave's individuated expression is complete, it does what? Recedes back into the ocean. It's a metaphor that helped me understand my relationship to God. So who am I? I'm an individuation of divinity. I'm a wave on the ocean of God. And I've chosen to go out and make waves. <laughs> Question number two, where am I? I'm in the realm of the physical. I came from the realm of the spiritual. I'm now in the realm of the physical. And I'm headed to the realm of pure being. The three places in the triangular kingdom of God. Why am I where I am? Question number three. Why am I in the realm of the physical? So that I can experience and express who I really am. Because in the realm of the physical, that which I am not exists. That is, the realm of the physical is a contextual field in which there is not just up, but down, not just big, but small, not just here, but there. Male and female created he them. Among all the other opposites that exist in the contextual field. So that whenever we decided that we want to experience something, we could experience it because in the absence of the darkness, you can't experience the light. There's a wonderful children's book that explains all this. It's called The Little Soul and the Sun. And it explains to the little soul 
He says, I know who I am. I want to be the light. And God said, that's right. You are the light. The little soul said, no, no, I don't want to just know I'm the light. I want to be the light. I want to express being the light. God said, well, you know, we can arrange that. But you can't be the light amidst the light. Then you would be like a candle in the sun. You'd be there all right, along with a million, billion, kajillion other candles. But you wouldn't be able to experience yourself expressing the light. Well, you're God. Think of something. Figure something out. I want to express myself as the light. God said, well, we can arrange that. We'll just surround you with what you're going to call the darkness so that you can be the light unto the darkness. But judge not and neither condemn or you will have misunderstood the entire process. And the little soul said, oh, I won't. I won't. I, I understand. Boy, I get to be the light. I get to be the light. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And we have understood, haven't we? Or have we? Or have we forgotten the whole thing? Forgotten even who we are? Forgotten even that there is a thing called God? Forgotten that pure love can even exist? What have we done to ourselves? Question number four. And what do you intend to do about that? I intend to live as if everything I've just said about God, about light, about love, and about myself is true. And you know what? It doesn't even matter if it is not. Even if I just made it all up, people write me letters all the time. I got a letter yesterday, just yesterday. Mr. Walsh, with all due respect, how do you even know you talk to God? How do you even know your answers came from a divine source? How do you know you didn't just make it all up? And I wrote an answer back in longhand this morning. Dear Stan, you know what? I could have made it all up. I could very well have imagined the whole thing. But if you've got any better ideas, I'm all ears. And Larry King asked me on Larry King Live a few years ago, God bless, he's now celebrated his continuation day. But Larry had me on the program, of course, being somewhat of a controversial figure. And he said, Neil, do you have any doubts at all? Do you ever doubt that you may not have talked to God? And I said, this is on the record, by the way, you can get a transcript of it from CNN or even get the actual videotape from CNN. My answer to Larry on international television was, Larry, of course I had doubts. The day I stop doubting is the day I become dangerous. And I have no intention of becoming dangerous. But, folks, you got any better ideas on how we can live our lives and interact with each other? and create the world for which we've so long yearned. Got any better ideas? I'm all ears.
And I'm hoping with everything that's going on that people are starting to sit and feel and listen and think and start coming up with some ideas other than what we've been experiencing in the past. Sure. Yeah, I've, created a, okay. I've created a place where people can share those ideas. If, if people want to stay connected with the energy and the messages of conversations with God, they can go to CWG, which of course means it's an acronym for conversations with God. You can just go to CWGConnect.com. CWGConnect.com. And that'll keep you connected with me and with the messages in conversations with God. Oh, that's wonderful, Neil. That's great that you created that. What would you like to leave our audience with today? What pearl of wisdom? Well, I would invite your audience to consider a couple of a couple of items. Item number one, I ask God, what is the most important message that you want to send me? I mean, there are nine CWG books covering over 4,000 pages and 39 books in all. What's the most important message in all of that? And I remember when I asked God, what does it take to make life work? I don't understand. You know, what is it that I don't understand? And I can recall her voice. She was so loving and so accepting of me. Like, you know a chuckle in his voice, you know, the way you would chuckle at a three-year-old, that, that three-year-old grandchild, not with a derisive tone, but with a delightful joy in watching that young child asking important questions. Like, where do the stars come from, daddy? Those, those kinds of questions. And so she delighted in my asking the question, what is it that I don't understand? And she said to me in the sweetest, most gentle voice. I can still, still hear it. And he said, Neil, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you. And your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. That single message changed my life 25 years ago. And I said I had two items I would leave with your audience. And the second one would be my answer to the question that I'm often asked when I do public presentations. Is there anything you can recommend? Anything you could just condense into a short little bite of information? a way we could move through the world that could help us to replace all that we've heard here today into a recommended way of being. So I've suggested this to people. This is daring. You, you don't want to do this unless you're going to be an idea hero. By the way, the book, The God Solution, talks about becoming an idea hero. An idea hero is a person who suggests things, who pronounces things, 
who announces and declares uh, ideas that he or she knows ahead of time that very few people are going to agree with and that in fact most people are going to disagree with like when Galileo had the nerve to say that the earth revolves around the sun. You do understand, of course, from your history that the Catholic Church taught for hundreds of years, not for a while, but for several hundred years, that the sun revolved around the earth, that the earth was the center of the universe. And that was the official teaching of the Catholic Church because Galileo said, no, it's actually the other way around. The Catholic Church excommunicated him and announced that he was going to hell if he didn't rescind his announcement and take it all back. History is replete with people who are idea heroes. Ignace Semmelweis was another one in Budapest he, he, in more recent history, just a, just a few years ago. I mean, maybe 100 or 120 years ago, relatively speaking, that's a short time ago. He had the nerve to suggest that, you know what, doctors ought to sterilize their hands in between medical procedures, because otherwise you carry germs from one location to the other. You see, at that time, believe it or not, the medical profession did not believe in the existence of a thing called germs. And with, when Dr. Semmelweis was trying to say, no, 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 this is real. What was happening is doctors were going from literally, I'm not making this up, check your history. They were going from the morgue or from an operation where somebody died on the operating table into the next operating suite, birthing babies. And the death rate of babies, the mortality rate was in unbelievably high in his hospital. And he wanted to figure out why. And he decided that maybe if he just cleaned his hands with, you know, sterilized his hands between the procedures, the mortality rate of newborns would go way down. And of course they did. The mortality rate shot down, proved him to be right, except nobody wanted to believe him. They said he was wrong. They said he had made it all up in his mind. And the man, check this out, his name is Semmelweis, Dr. Semmelweis in Budapest. They now, of course, have statues to him. They're now honoring him, a little bit late in the game, but nevertheless, they're operating, I mean, they're honoring uh, Dr. Semmelweis now in Budapest. But the poor man died in an asylum because all his colleagues, we're telling him he was, you should forgive the expression, dead wrong. Wow. And he didn't know what to believe anymore. So it's going to take an idea hero to move into the world in the way I'm going to suggest now. But I leave, leave you with this, with this suggestion. The next time you can anticipate with reasonable certainty that you're going to encounter another human being, for the first time that day. Maybe it's your beloved partner across the pillow or across the kitchen. Maybe it's a friend across the street. Maybe it's an acquaintance across town. Maybe it's a total stranger across the world. But the next time you can reasonably assume that you're going to encounter another human being that day, say to yourself in your mind, don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. 
because very few people will understand. And you could be ridiculed and made terribly wrong for it. But say it in your mind. Let it be your mindset prior to that first encounter with another human being that day. Say this in your mind. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better this day for my having passed through it. I promise you. Beautiful, Neil. That's wonderful. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having you. And I thank you so much for doing the work in the world. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I hope it isn't the last time we have a chance to be together. Yes, I would love to speak again. Wonderful. Everybody go out and get Neil's new book, The God Solution. It's wonderful. You'll really enjoy it. Beautiful. And thank you for being an idea hero, Neil. It's a sweet thing to say. Thank you for saying it. And all of you, blessed be. Be a blessing. Thank you. To all those whose lives you touch. Neil Donald Walsh, everybody. Thank you. And remember to find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz. And my website, lizishealingtouch.com. Neil, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.